morning, folks. Welcome to the Gathering of Recreate Church. I am so blessed to see you this morning. I, I don't know what your plans were for getting here. I, I, I don't know if um, you got here on purpose or, or someone dragged you here. Um, that happens. That happens sometimes. But here's the truth. We prayed for you. We've prayed for you to be here and to be a part of this and to be a part of something so much bigger even than, than what you see. This podcast that we record every week goes out all over the world. It's, it's wild to me. And Pruitt, who organizes our podcast, say hi to Pruitt, by the way. Hey, Pruitt. He'll enjoy that when he gets this recording. He, uh, he was sending me a message this week. He said, do you realize there's someone in Mongolia listening to this? Mongolia. Can you find Mongolia on a map? I think so. I think I could. It's up there by China and Tibet and all of that. But that's wild. That's God. That's a God thing. That we get to be a part of something that goes all over the world. And let's, let's let the folks in Mongolia and wherever else. And right here in this room know. Let's let them know our motto. For the folks who are, who are new to us, our motto. You know it. Those of you who know it, come on, help me out. Ready? No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. I get to talk about some fun stuff today. I get to talk about the Word of God. I appreciate y'all praying for me. Nobody wants to hear bad preaching, so pray for the preacher. I want to talk to you about a guy named Lou in 1962. Lou in 62. Okay? It rhymes. It rhymes every single time. Thank you, Billy Honeycutt. He knows his rhymes. Lou in 62. Now, what did Lou do in 62? Lou sold burgers. Lou's, Lou in 62's favorite thing to do was to sell burgers to you. I feel like Dr. Seuss. A hillbilly Dr. Seuss. So he sold burgers, and he was good at selling burgers, and he sold a lot of burgers, except Lou noticed that every spring, for a while, people stopped buying burgers on Fridays. Fridays, they, they didn't buy burgers. Why couldn't Lou in 62 sell a burger to you on Fridays? Now, Lou, do, Lou knew. Maybe you know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Lou knew. Some of y'all know. Some of you know. See, Lou knew that there are several Christian groups who celebrate Lent about this time of year. It's a time of fasting it's a time of prayer. It's a time of preparation for Easter. It's a good thing. You've probably seen some people on Facebook with like some ashes on their forehead. That's the Ash Wednesday thing. Nice tradition. That is not something that I knew about growing up. Um, the fasting in general was not talked an awful lot about in Southern Baptist churches. Um, fasting meant that we grilled our chicken instead of frying it. Uh, you see, nobody in my world w was giving up meat. So I grew up Baptist, and I grew up hillbilly. So we were kind of carnivorous. When I married my beautiful, amazing wife, who is originally from New Jersey, because I'm not related to her, and that's not the case with most people in this county, so that's a real bonus for her. And she made spaghetti for the first time. You know, you get married, and people cook, and there's differences in, in the food expectations. My wife, my beautiful, amazing wife, made spaghetti, and she put sauce on the spaghetti, just, just sauce. And I said, sweetheart, love of my life, apple of my eye, she to whom I have bestowed my last name. Where's the meat at? Where's the, where's the meat? 
And that wasn't her fault. See, where I grew up, mama would make about two pounds of meat and throw a few spaghetti noodles in it. Okay? Anybody else from Doug Spur? Okay, yeah. That's, that's the way we roll down there. Carnivorous. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. So I didn't, look, giving up meat, well, I didn't know nothing about giving up no meat. So I, Lou in 62, I couldn't tell him what to do, but Lou knew what to do. Lou knew that he grew up in one of these faith traditions that, that they gave up meat on Fridays for Lent. So, so Lou knew exactly what to do. Lou found some fish, and he deep fried it because America. And he put it on a bun with some cheese and some homemade tartar sauce. And it became so popular that Lou shared his recipe with all the restaurants who were part of this larger restaurant chain. And this is what we get. We get the filet fish which is a square, if you're listening to this outside of the country or where the reach of McDonald's has not touched, filet of fish is for some reason a square piece of fish on a bun. Um, have you had a filet of fish? I, it's been a long time. You can't. You cannot catch a square fish filet down at, down at Little Reed where I grew up fishing. But, um, hey, they're all right. I think I need to eat one just... just I'm weird like this. I'll eat something just to make sure I still don't like it. Anybody else do that? Once in a while, like green bean casserole. I don't like green bean casserole, but every Thanksgiving I'm going to eat some green casserole just to be sure I still don't like green bean casserole. And, and we're, the streak continues. So if you really want to impress me, make some green bean casserole that I actually like. The trick is to put a lot of those crunchy little onion thingies on there. Those are good. Crunchy onion, bacon. Just do the crunchy onion things and the bacon and leave the other things out, and we're good. So what does a fish sandwich, what does a filet fish have to do with the gospel? Well, it turns out more than you might think. The New Testament begins with the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you haven't read it a lot, it's easy to get the impression that it's like four in a series like Matthew's volume one, Mark's volume two, and so forth, but it's not really like that. It's the same story viewed from four different camera angles, and you get some slightly different um, details, slightly different angle on the situation. Same stories, but gives you deeper insight, like a 4D image of what was going on in the life of Jesus. So Lots of the same stories, obviously. Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially tell a lot of the same stories. John tells some unique stories. But there's really only one miracle, besides the resurrection of Jesus, that is given in all four Gospels. And that was the miraculous day that Jesus fed everybody filet fish So that's what that's about. There's some fish and there's some bread. So what we're going to see is Jesus feeding some hungry bellies and some hungry souls. That's what Jesus does. He feeds hungry souls. And if you don't know what I mean by hungry soul, I hope you do by the time this is over. Because that is the thing, that is the hunger that drives us to do some of the most self-destructive things when we feed that hungry soul in the wrong way. But it can be so fulfilling when we feed it in the right way. And that's through Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak now. That you'll speak, speak to my heart and, and to these people and, and to all of us. That we can understand how you, you want to feed all parts of us. God, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been going through the book of Mark. And we're, we're well into it now. 
Uh, it's kind of been interrupted here and there by things. And last week we looked at the story of John the Baptist. And now we're getting back to Jesus and his disciples. And in the context of the larger story, it's right after Jesus sent the disciples out two by two and they went out preaching and, and performing miracles. And now they have come back and they're giving a report of all these amazing things that they have seen and they have done and they have been a part of. But imagine how very tired they are. They are so tired. The scripture says they've been so busy, they have not made time to eat. I can't relate to that personally, but I assume that could happen. Uh, the moms out there can. The moms in the room can understand being so busy you don't have time to eat. The dads seem to find time. Well, I don't know what that's about. They're tired. They're hungry. They're exhausted. And Jesus has a plan. He says, okay, guys, let's get away for a little while. Let's, let's go to a deserted place and, and rest. Let's, well, he didn't say rest. He didn't specifically say that. He said, let's go across the sea to a deserted place. And I think they probably filled in the part about resting because what's about to happen is, is not rest. All right. Wild, wild ride here. And they're leaving out on this retreat. That's, they, they felt like they needed rest very, very much. Now, some ministries have a bus. I remember one time I used to, I helped a gospel group one time carry their stuff in and out a bit, and I got to ride on the, on the bus. That was pretty cool. This ministry does not have a bus. It has a, a boat. So they get on the boat over in near Capernaum on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to ride over to the northeast shore. And uh, there's a nature reserve in that area now. If you like go on Google Maps and you zoom into that area, there's in Israel, there is a nature reserve. And um, he, uh, he was going to send them over there. So there's walking trails in the area. And uh, kind of like spending the day at Rocky Knob for us with walking trails and a good time. And, you know, hopefully not too crowded. And there's lots of fun there. So what the disciples didn't know is when they, when they got on this boat, some folks were, were watching. There's a problem with the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of down in a bowl-shaped depression, and uh, it's not really round, but it's kind of round-ish. So if you get on a boat and you travel across the Sea of Galilee, everybody can see that you're leaving, and everybody can see where you're going. And you can't really come or go without being noticed. Kind of like in the country where we live, you can't sneak up on somebody's house because they have a dog. Our dog will let us know if you get anywhere near our house. So they get on the boat, and they make the four-mile trip across the sea, but some eyes are seeing them. And uh, the folks, what, what Jesus knows and the disciples do not know is that these people know where they're going, and some folks set off on foot. Do any of you do like run or do cardio? Could you run like eight miles, like really quick? I couldn't. I hope, I hope my life, I hope I never have to run for my life. Because I'm going to meet Jesus. I'm going to meet Jesus. I'm more of a, I'm more dangerous over short, like a bear. You're like short, like a short distances, like, you know. That, there I'm more dangerous, like from here to like the fridge. I'm more dangerous there. Um, these folks ran like eight miles. And they're telling people all along the way, so when Jesus and the disciples show up on the northeast shore of Galilee in this, quote, deserted place away from towns and cities, there are thousands of people waiting on them. Thousands and thousands. So imagine you've had an extremely long day, and you've come home, 
and you're just ready. You're ready to take off your shoes and rest. And you start taking off your shoes and getting comfortable. And your spouse says, whoa, 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 wait. Don't you remember? We've got to go over here to this place, to this thing, to this social event. And there's, there's people. There's going to be people there. Or worse, or worse. Say, whoa, wait. Some people are coming over tonight. Now, look, I love people. I love to have people over, but I want to know, like, in advance so I can emotionally prepare for two or three weeks uh, to have people. Does anyone else feel that? Okay, yes. Thank you, John. It's not not leaving me hanging. So uh, the disciples are exhausted. They're spent. They are sick of being around people. And so they roll up thinking this is going to be a nice picnic at Rocky Knob and the parking lot is absolutely full and there's this big festival going on, you know. That would be the equivalent for us. Even if you love people, people can sometimes be inconvenient. Um, You ever go to the store and everyone else decided to go to the store that day? And what is your thought when you roll in? Now, unless you're Lucy, who loves everybody, and you, Lucy probably comes into this full story, she's like, praise you, Lord. What a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus. But most of us are like, oh, my gosh, what, these people, they don't need anything from the store. Don't they know it's my turn to go to the store? <laughs> we went somewhere um, this week as our family, and we pulled in the parking lot, and it was some, I don't remember what it was, but there was like four cars and one of my kids, who is not cringing in the front row right now, said, oh my gosh, there's so many people, it's packed. I'm like, kiddo, there's four cars. There's four cars. It's like, that's a lot of people. Okay, thank you for outing yourself right there. I didn't do it, you did it. Um, have you, um, what about traffic? How do you feel when you see traffic? Not good, even Lucy doesn't like traffic. A wise man once said, is a modern proverb, you are not stuck in traffic. You are part of the traffic. Now, that's profound and stuff, but I don't want it. I don't want it. Long lines? No, thanks. I'll just do without whatever it is that I need and uh, go home and, and whittle it out of a block of wood or something. I don't know. Look, people can be an inconvenience, but the flip side is you've, you know what it's like to be treated as an inconvenience, don't you? You've been treated as an inconvenience before. Um, You've had people who should have loved you, who should have been good to you, treat you like you were just a burden and a problem. How does that make you feel? That's bad. That's bad stuff. Um, Someone who should have valued you, someone who should have been there for you, and, and maybe in the heat of the moment, that's what it was, and they do love you, but in that moment, they made you feel like you were an inconvenience. I want you to hear this loud and clear. Jesus does not view you as an inconvenience. Jesus does not view you as a burden. Jesus did not look on this crowd of people as an inconvenience or a burden. He looked at them and he saw their burden. He wanted to do something about their burden. He, he, saw, he looked at them not as people who were in the way, but people who needed a way. He, he looked at people... And he saw their, their hunger, that deep internal hunger. And we're going to get anchored in the Scriptures here. If you'll put up verse 34, we're in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And really, this is going to be our home for this whole thing. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. 
So Jesus looked out over the crowd and he didn't say, oh my gosh, all these people are in my picnic spot. Oh my goodness, all these people are sitting and I wonder if they've taken my seat. No, he, he, said, he saw this crowd of wanderers, of lost souls, of people who were hurting, confused, people without direction, with no sense of their place in the world or in history, people with a deep, deep hunger for something more. Sheep without a shepherd, that's what he said. Sheep without a shepherd. I didn't grow up on a sheep farm. I grew up on a cow farm. So what I know about sheep, I, I know from reading and books and others, and, and, and a sheep needs a shepherd to lead them. Without the guidance of a shepherd, the, the sheep are in big trouble. They're, they're wandering around without uh, leadership. Uh, a shepherd has to be there to lead them to water, to protect them from, from predators. Otherwise, they end up eaten by wolves or, or coyotes around here. Um, without a shepherd, they can't find grazing. Without a shepherd, the sheep starve. So Jesus looks out over this crowd and he sees people who are, who are starving for something more than food. People who have no direction, no passion, easily scattered, easily eaten up, easily defeated. And Jesus sees all of this and what's he decide to do? He decides to become their shepherd he teaches them a new way. So he spends hours and hours talking to them. Talking to them about, about what? About what it means to really live. About life. About redemption. About this new way. Uh, about a new plan. About peace and meaning. And he preaches for hours and hours and hours. And we look at that and we say, Oh, doesn't that sound wonderful? Jesus preaching for hours and hours and but I'm going to tell you right now, I've been doing this preacher thing for a long time. There is a point at which even the very finest Christian people are ready for the preacher to stop and 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 let them go. Because what eventually happens, you know, one of the secrets to why we meet at 10 a.m. is because we get finished up and y'all get to go to the best restaurants before the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians. And you're welcome. I don't think y'all have ever thanked me for that, but you're welcome. But it's, it's also, the closer you get to lunch, the more you're thinking about food. So it, I get to preach a little bit longer. So these disciples are already tired, right? They're already hungry. We have been told they didn't have time to, to eat. They didn't have time to rest. And at some point, as Jesus is preaching to these folks, a couple of them, come up to him i don't know if they like interrupted him in the middle of something or they waited till he took a little break and they said hey hey jesus good job preaching you're on it you're on it today uh, everybody's listening I, I don't mean to interrupt you but um the day's kind of getting on here the day's getting along it's getting near supper time and and uh, all these people are going to get hungry and look there's nothing here there's nothing nearby but jesus if if we dismiss the service now, I think the Chick-fil-A in Bethsaida will still be open. And they can go over there and buy something to eat. Um, it, he didn't say it was a Sunday, Matthew. He didn't say. Uh, it was just a day. Didn't say it was a Sunday. So, um, And that sounds perfectly reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, look, if I'm still preaching at 1.30... Some of y'all are going to be like, hey, I love you, Michael. I love you so much in the Lord, but I am go I'm going to Burger King. I'm going right there. First time I ever preached, 
Uh, it had been pent up in me a long time, and I did preach to 1.30. I think it was 1.30. And it was bad. It wasn't even good. It wasn't even good preaching. It was bad, and it was long. So I'm going to give this. this is, I ain't going to say this is going to be better, but it's going to be shorter, okay? You will get out of here well in advance of 1.30. So Jesus responds to this perfectly reasonable request and said, hey, uh, Jesus, shouldn't we send someone, you know, shouldn't we dismiss them now so they can go get some food? He's like, ah, no, you feed them. You feed them. Now, what would you do in a situation like that? The disciples, they started doing the math. They said, okay, okay. We got all this many people, and I think it would probably take about 200 denarii to feed them. Uh, denarii, that's, that was a coin that was equal to about a day's wages. So think about whatever the average wage is now and about a day's work. So maybe in today's money, 100 125 $150, something like that. So 200 denarii in today's money is maybe $20,000 or a little bit more. And they're, they're doing the math, and they said, okay, I think for $20,000 we could get everyone a happy meal, and it would be okay. But the way that this is worded, the phrasing makes me think they didn't have $20,000 or didn't, they did not have it in the budget of the ministry account. Also, if they had it in the account, they're in the middle of nowhere. Where are they going to buy food without leaving the area? Look, they could, they could I mean, unless 50 taco trucks are going to show up right now, they're not going to get any, not going to spend any money. I don't think that tacos or trucks had been invented at the time. Two great things. Praise God for tacos and for trucks. God's blessings are great. So they come back to Jesus and they're like, um, well, uh, I, I don't know if we can do this. It seems like they've forgotten something, though, haven't they? Have they forgotten something? They've forgotten whose team they're on. Haven't they seen Jesus do so much more than feed a bunch of people? Haven't they seen him do miracles? Haven't they... I've, haven't they seen him do things that should be totally impossible? They, they've seen all of this, and yet they're still doing the math. They were, they're so hung up on the things they thought they needed, but they didn't have, than what they did have. And Jesus says, doesn't say, oh, that's, that's too bad we don't have enough money to pay, to pay for food for them. No, he said, um, go see what you do have. Go find out what you do have. So they find this kid who has five loaves of bread and two small fish, the scriptures say. Most likely these are barley rolls, and we would call them a roll. They would have been small, a little bigger than a biscuit maybe. Barley was the grain that, that common people, poor people ate. It was not anything fancy. So they had uh, some barley rolls, and the fish was likely enough to be uh, some kind of tilapia. There's tilapia in the Sea of Galilee. It's pretty common. So, I mean, if you went to like a fancy restaurant today, they put this bread and this fish on like a cedar plank and charge you 30 bucks for it. And, but in those days, it was just a working class lunch. This was dollar menu filet fish That's what this was. It was nothing special about it. Just very straightforward, common food. Now, Mark does not tell us in his record where they got the loaves and the fish from. John says it was from a lad. It was from a kid, a, a, a young boy. And uh, it does, it's always funny to me, it does not specifically say how they got the bread and the fish from the kid. It doesn't say that he gave the bread and fish willingly. 
Have you ever been around a 12-year-old boy? Do they seem when they're eating? I'm going to tell you right now. A 12-year-old will fight you over some flaming Hot Cheetos. They'll fight you. And I don't know. I don't know if they had, like, had, had a tussle with this kid to take his... I don't know. That's open to interpretation. Please don't, please don't like, hate me because I'm like, you're, you're reading things in. I don't know. He just left it vague. So they got some bread and they got some fish. Jesus told them to sit down in groups on the green grass. This was going to be orderly. No crowding, no rush. No lines, no panics, a panic group of groups of 50 and 100. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the 12 disciples. What have you seen so far? How many, how many loaves of bread? Five. How many fish? Two. How many people? Well, we say 5,000. It says 5,000 men. And it could be more women and kids, too. Uh, the word here used for 5,000 men is specific to males. So estimates range anywhere from that 5,000 to upwards of 20,000 or more that could have possibly been there. It was a lot, a lot of people. I mean, let's, let's just say it's on the high end. So you've got 20,000 people and you've got five rolls and two small fish and that, that's it. And these disciples, they don't know what he's about to do. We know. We've read it. We've heard this. But what did they do? They got everybody to sit down. Don't know what we're going to eat. We've only got enough for like a couple of people if we split it up. But everybody sit down. And that was an act of faith right there, wasn't it? They didn't know how it was going to work. They didn't have a clue. And yet they obeyed on what they had been told. I think that's what God wants us to do so much of the time, y'all. We cannot always see how things are going to work out. But we've got to trust God anyway. Trust God with what we, what we can see. That's where I was at with this message 24 hours ago. We had our cleanup day here yesterday, and, and some folks were checking on me and uh, um, said, hey, how's the message going? I'm like, oh, well, it's the first draft is done, but it's not good. It's not. It needs some love. It needs some love real bad. And I said, I'm just going to trust God, and he's going to make it what it needs to be. And I hope it's, I hope it's okay. Has it been okay so far? Yeah, all right. All right, got Ric Flair in the front row up here so look it doesn't take faith to believe what you can see that's sight we faith and sight aren't the same thing those of you who are in this room observing this with your eyes can can confirm you don't have to have faith that i'm holding a microphone in my hand right now correct you can see it the people listening to the radio broadcast it's someone who's out in the parking lot or someone who's listening um through the podcast they can't see They've got to take it on faith that I'm speaking into a microphone. And you're going to say, wait, 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 preacher. They know you're speaking to a mic because they can hear you. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. We cannot see what God is doing. Sometimes we can hear it. Sometimes we can feel it. The wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind is moving. And that's the way it is with God so much. We believe when we cannot see. And the reward of faith is to see the movement that has been caused by the Lord. Watch for what God is moving even when you can't see. So Jesus blessed the food and he broke it and he started handing it out. 
that was pretty common in Jewish households that a head of a household would, would break up the food into pieces and, and distribute it around. They would have bread and, and that's how it was done. Kind of like uh, around here, somebody, hey, somebody's got to slice up the cornbread. Someone's got to make it ready to hand out. But there's a lot of people here. 5,000 at the minimum, maybe more like 20,000 people here. And this is where my brain kicks in and I start doing the math. Like, okay, okay. If Jesus is going to be breaking all this up, and let's say it takes him one second, just one second to break off a portion for everybody, and there's 20,000 people, and you do that, and I run it through the calculator, like five and a half hours just breaking this stuff up. Okay, how does, how does that work? And, and furthermore, how do you break, like, this kid's leftover filet of fish into 20,000 pieces? I don't think it has to be that hard. We've got a couple of problems here, but one solution. Easy, easy solution. We know that there's baskets in this crowd, right? You read this story, and we know there's going to be some baskets mentioned later on, at least 12 of them. So Jesus doesn't have to do all this like hand up. I mean, one for you, one for you, one for you. I think he just blessed it and broke it, and he put it in some baskets. And as these disciples who had to have something to carry it around in, right, as they carried it around, I believe it continued to multiply. And every time they pulled some out, that there was just more left in it. And it's really not that hard. If you believe that God can do all things, this is not a hard one, y'all. It can work just fine. You could feed 20,000 people in about an hour if you've just got 12 baskets and everybody get out what they need for their family. It's very much workable. Now, um, everybody had all they wanted, and that's uncommon in this time, because for most of human history, eating all you wanted till you can't hold no more, that wasn't a thing that normal people got to do. It was, hey, I think we got enough to make it another day. And in our time, we have, and in our culture, we have a bigger problem of having to worry about eating too much. That's our issue rather than not having enough. Twelve baskets left over. Twelve baskets left over. How many disciples? So each of them got a doggy bag, got a takeout tray. Each of them had these leftovers. And we were not told exactly what happened with all of these leftovers. I can tell you what generally happens to leftover stuff from church potlucks and things that I have seen through the years. And those of you who've been in ministry can confirm this. Uh, when there's leftover cookies and cakes and stuff, they end up going home with the preacher a lot. And I ain't complaining. I'm not complaining at all. Except, how are you supposed to be skinny? Please don't ever ask your preacher, hey, why aren't you, why aren't you slim? It's because y'all keep leaving cakes and cookies, and I'll just send that with them. So I wonder if the 12 disciples each had a basket sent home with them. It would make sense, or sent with them. So they're eating leftover filet of fish for the rest of the week. That would be something, wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't know if I would want to eat that for the rest of the week, bread and, and fish. It might be getting a little funky a few days in and we don't know how long it had been in that boy's lunchbox either so every every time they would pull that out it would be a reminder of what jesus did the miracle yes but but what else maybe it's a reminder that we we have a tendency to count the cost and and maybe you're good at math but god is better at math than we are He's especially good at multiplication. 
if we will give to God what we have, He can multiply it. I give God the glory that for everything that He has provided for us. Some of y'all have been hanging out with Recreate Church since, since we were just a handful of people in a living room and we had nothing. We had nothing at all. And, and God has multiplied it and blessed. And it's, it's such a blessing to see y'all here today. Let me tell you, we were busting the seams before COVID. And it's kind of nice to have people back in the seats because COVID really hit us hard, 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 hard. So they're, they're eating these leftovers for days, possibly. And I think, I hope they saw what we can see. That it's not really about the fish and the bread. It's not really about feeding bodies. It's about, about feeding souls. Because what Jesus really had to offer was not bread and fish. He really had to offer himself. This is a cool story, right? Feeding of the 5,000. If you've been around church, you've heard this before. It makes all the, the bedtime Bible story books. It's a, it's a good one. Feeding 20,000 people is very impressive. If you had everything you needed and didn't have to make it out of one little boy's lunch, it would be impressive to feed 20,000 people, just the logistics of that. But is that, really, is that really the story here? Okay, so what was the problem that these people had, the most obvious problem that they had? They were hungry. And in our mind, if someone is hungry, what do they need? Food. That's what the disciples saw. A bunch of hungry people. And they had compassion on them. And they wanted to help, but they felt overwhelmed by it. What would you do if you suddenly had 20,000 people to feed and you really had no way to do it? It's completely overwhelming. Jesus challenged them, and they, they tallied the bill up and said, uh, I don't think we don't have enough. How, first of all, I don't think we have enough. Second of all, where would we spend it if we had it? We cannot take, there's not a McDonald's near here. There's nothing near here. We can't. Jesus challenged them again, and they came up with a little food, and Jesus blessed it, and it was enough. That's a reminder to us that if we'll stop focusing on what we don't have and just give him what we do have, see what he can do. When our problems look big and our resources look small, don't worry about the size of the problem or the size of the resources. Think about the size of your God. Jesus solved the important problem of these hungry people. He fed them and he was awesome. And you know what? I don't know what burden you've carried or what need you've carried into this room. Give it to God. He can meet that need. He can and he will. We've seen so, so much, even over the last few years in, in my family, in my household. And we were, we were in a tough, tough, tough spot not so very long ago. And, and God has worked miracles for us. And he doesn't love me more than he loves y'all. He'll work miracles for you too. And he did for these people. But was that all that he did? Is that even the main thing that he did? When Jesus looked at this huge crowd of people, did he look out and say, huh, they look hungry? What did he say? What's the scripture say? Verse 34. They were like sheep without a shepherd. That was Jesus' diagnosis of their condition. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They had needs, yes. They were going to get physically hungry briefly and shortly, yes. But their need was not just physically needing food. They were sheep without a shepherd. That's a deeper kind of hunger, folks. Physical hunger, 
That was a problem, but it was not the problem. He was going to feed them, and he would, and it was amazing. But what they needed more was something inside. Uh, they needed a shepherd. They were wandering. They were hungry and thirsty for something more than bread and more than water, maybe something they could not put their finger on. I mean, why would you run eight miles around the Sea of Galilee to get there if you didn't have some sense that you needed something? There was a hunger in their souls. It's easier for us to understand physical hunger. I mean, your belly growls. It's like, oh, I need to eat something. Our bodies tell us what we need, but spiritual hunger, that's something else. We mix up spiritual hunger with other things. When we're spiritually hungry, we might think what we need is entertainment. Uh, we might think that what we need is some, some more money so we can pay our bills and not worry when we're spiritually hungry, we may mistake it for a need to set a new goal or to achieve or to convince somebody to convince us that we're good and nice and pretty and lovable. And we're looking to other people to tell us we are worth something when it comes from a deep place, the spiritual hunger. What we really need is Jesus. He's the bread. He's the bread of life. That's what he's called the bread of life. He's the bread of life that feeds souls. Now look, whatever you think you're looking for, whatever goal you've set, whatever thing you think it is you, you, you think you need in order to scratch that itch you got, if it's a good thing, I hope you get it. But I'm going to tell you, once you get it, it won't do what you think it's going to do. Man, I hope you get a promotion. Man, I hope you get a new house. I hope you get a new car. I hope, I hope you win the lottery or whatever it is. I hope, I hope uh, these things in your family that you want to happen, I hope they happen. But understand that deep down inside, what you need is not more stuff, better relationships, more earthly things. What you need is Jesus. And that is just a fact because you get everything else everything else and i do hope you are extraordinarily blessed but if you get all that you're going to find out something what you really need all along is jesus you need that that it's that spiritual hunger that has to be satisfied a hunger in each of us for meaning for purpose for life and folks a filet fish will not hit the spot on that one it's going to have to be the bread of life no amount of money or success or relationships or recognition will feed that hunger. Only Jesus will. The most destructive things that we do in our own lives are usually trying to feed that hunger, scratch that itch. I have watched people do it all around me, and I've even messed up myself at times in, in trying to, to feed that inward hunger where Jesus goes. And when you try to feed that with something else, man, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt everybody else. Jesus offers nourishment, sustenance, something so much better than, than physical food. He offers himself. Well, what does that mean in practical life? I'm praying this morning. It's like, okay, Lord, how do I land this plane? How do I end this message? I mean, what am I supposed to tell them to go do from here? And here's the only thing I can come up with. Every day. You need to make sure you get some time with Jesus every single day. I don't know what you've got to do to make that work. I'll tell you what I've done at work. 
I, I've got a little Bible that I got stuffed in a bag. And while I cram my food in my mouth at lunch, I got my Bible out and I'm reading it. Because I work a regular job in addition to this. So I've, I've got to find it. I've got to carve that out too. I don't know if it's for you. You've got a Bible app on your phone. Let it play in the morning while you're getting ready, brushing your teeth or while you're driving. If you've got to commute to work, put on, put on uh, some good preaching, a podcast or something or Bible teaching. There's a ton of stuff out there. It's not all created equally. Do your homework. Figure out. Make sure they're teaching the right thing. But you've got to feed your soul. You've got to feed some Jesus into your soul. And that is the only thing that's going to satisfy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Praise your holy name. God, I pray for myself and for everybody here, thanking you that you have given Jesus to us as a Savior, as a sustainer, as the bread of life for our hungry souls. Lord, I pray that you will awaken us to what we truly, truly need. Satisfaction that comes from you. and It can't come from anywhere else. God, I, I pray for anyone listening to this, anyone receiving this, that you would give them the direction that they need to make daily bread from Jesus a part of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for being a part of this. We do it every Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, blessing to have you with us. And uh, God bless you as you go. Go get some Jesus in your life.